morning, just a quick little testimony, just uh, been thinking about it and thought maybe I really should share it. Um, six months ago, I couldn't walk, which is quite something. I ruptured a disc in my lower spine and my L5 smashed so hard into my S1, it took all the strength out of my left leg. And uh, it you know, went through that and while I was on my back in such pain and on such heavy meds, I also caught COVID. Uh, eventually, I had surgery, an amazing surgeon, and uh, he pulled out the ruptured disc. But the one thing that's been so clear to me is a surgeon can do that. He can meet with you for a morning, and you can go in there and dig inside of you, and he can pull out some bits of disc. But he's not the one that heals nerves and, and knits muscles back together. And I, I, was, I lost 50% of my muscle weight being on my back for four, the first four weeks and uh, didn't actually do anything for three months except lie around. Um, and last month I rode the Argus and yesterday I ran the Two Oceans Half and just as a, so grateful to God, it's good. He is our healer and it's amazing how he can knit us back together, whether it's a physical wound or it's in our hearts, it's in our minds, God is your healer. Sorry, that was just a tangent I thought I'd throw out there. It's so good to be with you. Happy Easter, everybody. I mean, this is it. This is Easter Sunday, and this is always such an exciting morning um, to get up and, and, to, and to speak to you guys. I'm always grateful to do the Easter Sunday message. Um, it's, it's a real privilege to do this because, you see, without this message, none of the other ones actually matter. If this is the only Bible teaching, in fact, I'm going to go so far as to say, if this is the only teaching you ever hear, that's okay. It's enough. How can I say that? How can I present the next half hour as the most important discourse that has ever and will ever be? More important than any political speech more important than any medical, scientific, or mathematical announcement, more important than any philosophical or religious teaching. Because if what I say today is true, but what I say today is true, then it has eternal value. It changes, not next week, not this year, it changes your eternity. If it's false, when, well, then this is a half hour of your life you'll never get back, and I hope you found me mildly entertaining. <laughs> so we're going to look at this message today and see if it is either folly or fact to know how to respond. It's either a hoax or it's a shattering historical event. It's either a message that defies the laws of nature and rewrites history or it's been incorrectly told today, and we should be here mourning, not celebrating. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 24. Um, in preparing for this message, I've been reading Luke Harper's notes, who's busy preaching the same chapter in South Penn, and I've been listening to a few podcasts of other fantastic uh, uh, preachers like Tim Keller and, and listening to what they had to say, because I love to pillage the golden revelations that they give when they when they speak. And, but sometimes you read a chapter in the Bible and you're just amazed at the simplicity of the gospel and how a chapter like this is so powerful on its own. Uh, 
Let's open in prayer. Lord Jesus, we're just so grateful for the cross. Father God, we're just so grateful that you sent your word, that you came in such mercy, in such grace. Holy Spirit, we're so grateful for your presence. Open our eyes and minds today to the truth of your gospel. Give us ears to hear, will to obey, hearts to embrace the truth revealed this day. We love you, Lord. All right, buckle up. You can open your devices or turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 24. Bear with me, it's a long one. All right. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with their faces to the ground, but their men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Hey, remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, I love Peter. <laughs> however, he got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now on that same day, two of them, two disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles, about 11 kilometers from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one living in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him, they did not see. He said to them, oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And 
Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. While he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened scripture to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, this is the eleven, okay, this is the disciples in another room. And they're saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. So here's another bloke, Simon, who's also seen the risen Lord. And the disciples are all discussing this. Then the two, the two from Emmaus, they told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in, in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Let's close in prayer. I'm kidding. <laughs> but I mean, wow. Like, right? I mean, that passage, it's... It's just the most incredible passage of Scripture. But what makes it so compelling and so powerful is that it is a string. The whole chapter is a string of eyewitness accounts of the resurrected Jesus. It gives the account so much credibility. There's nothing better in a court of law than an eyewitness. These, these were not impressions, these were not imaginations or the words of a, a well-informed narrator. These were people who saw Jesus, spoke to Jesus, ate with Jesus. The initial witnesses were women 
who at the time had a very low status, which meant their testimony would not have even been admissible in a court, not a Roman court, not a Jewish court. If you were making up a story, if you were creating a legend, you had never put women in there as the first eyewitnesses in those days because it would completely undermine the plausibility of, of the account with any of the hearers of the time. There was no other motivation for Luke to do this but to account for the facts of the event. It's just like Jesus to break the religious, cultural, political, and social norms and chooses woman to be the first to tell of his resurrection and share what we now call the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's also as you go through this chapter why you see so many names. Because of course, guys, it was Mary. It's, it's that, no, Mary the mother of James. That James's mom, that Mary. And, and it was Joanna, you know Joanna, and Simon, it was Simon who saw him. Oh, and it was Cleopas, the Cleopas from Emmaus, not the other Cleopas. The Gospels were written during the lifetimes of these eyewitnesses. So these names are like footnotes. If you want to check it out, go chat to these oaks because you know them. Right? Go chat to them. These were known people. So how do you receive these eyewitness accounts. How do you receive this message? Let's see how they did. Let's go through the passage and briefly look at how it was received by witness after witness. Here are some spices, all right? And here is an Easter egg symbolizing how we now celebrate Easter Sunday. All right, we're gonna put those there. And now you're only looking at the egg, I know. What is he gonna do with that? <laughs> Chocolate or spices? Verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. These women, these were disciples of Jesus. They went to anoint Jesus' dead body with spices. This was a custom at the time. Uh, when, when a loved one died, they covered his body with spices to hide the smell. They had a specific purpose to beautify the corpse, to anoint it. You see, that first Easter was nothing like this one. Today, many of you, especially those of you with little children or, or wives who are addicted to chocolate like mine, you got up before the sun rose and you took your torches and your coffee out and there was giggles and there was laughter and you searched the garden for these golden little eggs or, or these wrapped little eggs all around the garden and there was lots of fun and celebration and, and then there was suddenly this sugar rush and then eventually managed to get everybody to church to celebrate the victory message that we're celebrating today. Well, these women... Their Easter started with tears. There was nothing to celebrate. They carried spices in their basket, not pretty eggs. They went expecting to find their teacher, their friend, their rabbi, lifeless, a dead corpse. But then they find his body wasn't there. It was missing. It had vanished. So what did they do? Did they bring out the eggs and say, yay, celebration, he's alive. Or did they carry on with their spices? Verse 4. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. 
He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was with you still in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and all the others. These women, they were initially confused. They are stuck in their spices. They don't know what's happened. Things have gone from bad, Jesus is dead, to worse, and we don't even know where his body is, and we can't anoint it. I don't know what's going on here. I don't understand. No one's seeing the clues. In fact, the last thing they're thinking is, oh, Jesus is alive. It takes the supernatural appearance of an angel to explain to them what has taken place. And they, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? They still don't know what's happened. So the angel continues and explains, don't you remember? Jesus said that he would die and three days later rise again. And although Jesus had said it, nobody actually believed him or even fully understood at the time. Another time he said, you'll be given the sign of Jonah. So Jonah goes into the belly of a whale and he appears alive three days later. Even after Jesus told them repeatedly, it was so foreign a concept that they didn't even consider it at the time. But after hearing it from an angel, they get it. And the first thing they do is go and tell the others. Now it's chocolate. So let's look at this egg. Um, this is how I learned about the Easter story when I was young. Is we have these eggs hidden. Sometimes they look like bunnies. Sometimes they're eggs like this. But they're supposed to be eggs. Um, and if you look at the egg, it's hollow inside. And that, we were told, would always symbolize the empty tomb. That's why these eggs are hollow. They're symbolic of the empty tomb tomb. So, how do the others respond? Chocolate or spices? I'm going to stand this into the carpet. Give me a second. I didn't expect it to break quite so violently. <laughs> I just don't want to mess up the carpet. So, verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles, but they did not believe the woman. Because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw how the strips of linen were lying there by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself, what had happened? You see, initially, these disciples, they weren't at the tomb. They were still in shock. They were in mourning. Their world had been crushed by the death of their friend and rabbi and the death of their message. Picture the mood, sad, depressing. They had given up. The disappointment hangs in the room like a fog. And then in come the woman, and they're all excited. And they share the most incredible news. Jesus is alive. And everybody's like, oh, yay, chocolate. No, they're still stuck in their spices. They don't even believe the woman. What can we learn from the chocolate and the spices? Number one. Everybody struggles to believe the resurrection. Can you see it? I mean, we miss it because we know the story so well. But even the closest of Jesus' friends, to them the resurrection was not logical or sensible. Even the disciples who were primed it was going to happen missed it and didn't receive it. 
The church didn't come to believe the resurrection easily. And if you're looking into Christianity, if, you, if you're on a journey and you're just wanting to explore this, uh, this following Christ thing, I want you to know that it's normal to struggle with believing the resurrection. Even the disciples struggled. But what do we do with this then? Well, then we be like Peter. We look into it. In his doubt, in his struggle, he leans in, not out. He runs to the tomb to investigate, to discover the truth. He stoops literally and he peers in, taking in the evidence, taking the evidence. That's the next logical step. And we see in Peter that it is the step that leads to life. Peter goes into the tomb to investigate and the body is gone. Now, there are many theories out there. Some of them might say, oh, well, the authorities took the body. Okay, but then why didn't they produce it when this message spread like wildfire and they so desperately wanted to stop it? Why didn't they produce the body? Or some people say, no, the disciples took it. They hid it. The resurrection message brought the disciples nothing but persecution, torture, and suffering, and ultimately cost them their lives, all for what they knew to be a lie. Pain, poverty, and hardship, why preach an untruth when it only brings suffering? That doesn't make any sense either. Something must have happened that shattered their paradigm. What was it? Imagine this was you. What was it? They saw what was a dead man walking, talking. They touched his hands and his feet. For them, from that point on, it was an impossible fact to dismiss. Now, today we like to use the word fact kind of loosely. If uh, we hear a fact that we don't like, we go and do our own research until we find somebody who agrees with us and calls it fake news. (laughs) But it doesn't change the fact that a fact is a fact. There is a fact. I don't like it. I actually dislike it. It's inconvenient to me. It makes me uncomfortable. It might necessitate me acting on it. And I don't want to. But I cannot not believe it because it is still a fact. When you see Jesus raised from the dead, your likes and dislikes don't matter. Number two, the resurrection was not created by the church. The church was created by the resurrection. We've already seen how if the resurrection hadn't happened, the disciples and the church wouldn't have even thought to make it up. But we can also say that the resurrection hadn't happened, they wouldn't have been a church. Think about for that, that for a second. If there was no resurrection, there wouldn't be a church. It's not just that we wouldn't be here on a sugar rush this morning. It's that we wouldn't have a reason to meet at all. These guys, the 11, were wallowing in their misery. They'd given up. It was done, game over, let's go back to fishing. The church didn't create the resurrection, and if it hadn't happened, the church would not have been born. The whole thing would be over. Yet what seemed like the end, in fact, became the beginning. 
by the end of the New Testament, this thing called the church had exploded. All because these same guys who had given up and were walking away witnessed something so profound, so miraculous. Most of them paid the price of their own lives to stand on the truth that Jesus was raised to life. The only explanation is that they saw something they hadn't even imagined and they saw it so clearly and so profoundly that they were never the same again. All explanations fail except this one. Jesus really was raised from the dead. The chocolate and the spices, they point to the power of God to do what no one expected him to do. They draw us in like Peter to know more. The map the plan, the plan. Let's read on. There are two disciples who are about 11 kilometers out of Jerusalem walking down the road on the way to Emmaus. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Were they talking chocolate or were they talking spices? As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and he walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, <laughs> I love this, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Nothing like a little bit of sarcasm to the Messiah. Are you the only one who doesn't know? <laughs> Again, Luke shows us no one saw this coming. Anyone who looked at them could see they were highly depressed. Let's carry on. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. They've got all the reports. And they still don't believe. They still struggle. So Jesus himself opens their eyes to see he said to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The church couldn't dream it up. And the disciples couldn't believe it. But it was always the plan of God. There was a plan. Did not the Messiah have to suffer? There were certain things that needed to happen. Verse 7 says, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. We miss this in the English, but in the Greek, the word must in verse 7 is the same word for have to in verse 26, and it's the word day. Luke uses this word 18 times in his gospel to illustrate the plan the plan that Jesus was fulfilling. It's one of the great themes of Luke and Acts. Jesus was fulfilling the great rescue plan of God unraveling through the ages. Ever since the fall in the garden, this was the only way. 
There was no plan B. God knew the plan right through the Old Testament, beginning with Moses, the author of Genesis, through the kings and the prophets, to the end of the Old Testament. There has always been a plan, and it has always been Jesus. The plan culminated in the perfect sinless Savior, both simultaneously divine and human, coming and suffering before being raised to life. It had to be this way, according to the plan. The plan of God was through the death and resurrection of Jesus to defeat once and for all all the power of sin and death. And because he did, death is not the end of the human life. Amen? There is life beyond the grave. Jesus not only secures it, but through his resurrection, he proves it. He has died and returned to life. Jesus has the power over death. What the disciples thought was the end of a dream was in fact the dawn of a new era. And now the same resurrection power that brought Christ back to life is the very same power that is at work in the Christian life. Jesus is the proof that the resurrection life is true. And through him, each of us have access to it. But how? How do we have access to it? The meal. The story continues. Jesus is playing it cool. It's actually so wonderful, this next little bit. I love this. Jesus is amazing. He's so gentle with us. And he's such a great teacher. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. I like that. So he's just teasing them a little. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road and he opened scriptures to us. Jesus initially plays hard to get. Then he comes in and he sits at the table with them. The table is a place of fellowship in the ancient world. This is where family and friends are connected. It's a place of intimacy. It is here that Christ reveals himself, not just information like the angels uh, we saw earlier, but Jesus himself is fully disclosed in the place of relationship. Jesus opens their mind to the scripture. Didn't our hearts burn with us when he opened the scriptures to us? To the woman, he said, remember what he told you. In the light of the resurrection, you, in the light of the resurrection, you can understand all that Jesus has said. You see, the power of the resurrection, it helps you understand all of scripture. Here it helps us to understand that all of scripture is about Jesus. Understand the resurrection and now you understand the cross. Now suddenly the cross, it makes sense. Otherwise it would have just been devastating. It would have been a disaster. Understand the cross and the whole of scripture opens up. We mentioned the plan. All the plot lines in scripture converge in Jesus Christ. From the rescue in Exodus to the parable of the Good Samaritan, we have an unexpected rescuer, Jesus is the unexpected Savior at the cost of his own life. He gave you not what you expect, 
nor what you deserve, but he gave his life so that all who believe in him may not die, but have eternal life. Now everything makes sense. It's like the movie, The Sixth Sense. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's got this incredible plot twist at the end. And uh, if you've seen the movie, you're busy nodding, going, oh yeah, I remember that ending. And the second time you watch it, you can only watch the, the movie with the end in mind. And suddenly the whole movie kind of makes sense. Spoiler alert, the gospel's the same. Once you understand the resurrection, you can only read the whole of Scripture, the whole of the Bible, with the resurrection in mind. Suddenly it all makes sense. It changes the way we see everything. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened. We're gonna do communion a little differently. We're gonna do it at plot point two in my message now. <laughs> we're gonna do it now. We're, while, while the band play, won't you take the COVID-friendly little cup and and peel away the little lid to get the wafer. And together as Christ followers, let's take a little time and imagine we're in that room. Let's take a little time. Imagine you're in that room. Let's ponder Jesus and all that He has said and all that He has done. Let's ponder the cross and the resurrection. Just a few days before this, in the upper room, Jesus was with his disciples. We read about it in Luke chapter 22. And they, had, they shared what has become known as the Last Supper. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, he teaches us to share communion with these words. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed unto you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant by my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take 30 seconds now and just... Maybe say this prayer in your heart. Like you did for the woman at the tomb, Jesus opened my eyes. Like you did for the disciples in Emmaus, open my mind. Let me understand all that you taught in light of the empty tomb. Thank you, Lord, for your blood. Thank you for your body. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you took all our sins upon yourself, doing what we did not deserve. 
So let's see what these eyewitnesses did after that. Verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. It's a powerful message to the world. Nobody sits on this message. The minute they hear about the resurrection, they take the message to somebody else. The, the woman did that. The disciples in the room did that. The Emmaus disciples, they, they rose the same hour and they spread the message. They couldn't wait. They left the room in the middle of the night, traveled in the dark when it was dangerous. They risked their lives then and for the rest of their days for the sake of the message. They did it because their hearts had been so moved and the message was so important. The same for the woman earlier. Upon believing, they gave themselves to sharing it with others. In the book of Acts, the message of the resurrection dominates the teachings of both Peter and Paul. Those who had seen it, all these eyewitnesses gave themselves to telling others. As Anne mentioned earlier, they all took hits for spreading this message. They paid the price in suffering and rejection, and ultimately many of them lost their lives because of the message they were sharing. But how in three generations did Christianity supplant the classical culture in the Greco-Roman world? That was a big deal. That was the resurrection. The resurrection is unique. It's a message that no one had ever heard. It gives a hope for the future, a hope that is now certain, and that is unimaginably wonderful. It's spread through Asia, throughout Europe, across the oceans, and all the way down to the southern tip of Africa, where a bunch of chocolate high Christians have gathered to celebrate the truth of the resurrection today. Will you join the woman? Will you join the 11? Will you join the disciples in spreading this message? It's true, our culture has become increasingly hostile, and many today look upon what we believe with scorn. But Christ promises to be with you and empower you and strengthen you as he invites you to join the greatest movement of witnesses and truth-tellers the world has ever seen. What makes this so important? Why is this still so important? Because if you spoke to an eyewitness and you saw their life changed, if you believed the credibility of their account, well then you see suddenly you'd realize you're not just an aimless, passing, fading presence in a purposeless world. Finally, you know that you're not just here today and gone tomorrow, finally you'd realize there's a future and it never ends. Jesus himself shows up in the resurrected body and he says, it's me, it is I myself, look at me, touch me. Are you scared of death? Well, the resurrection is certain and now death has no sting. The future is available through Jesus Christ and you will be loved for the rest of eternity with the love of the Father that has always been the plan. Suffering is intolerable if you're not sure of the future. 
But the resurrection is a giant guarantee that the future is unimaginably wonderful. It's the restoration of what you've lost, your body back to being the body you, even better, your body better than it ever was, your life being the life you always wished it could have been. Jesus Christ is walking proof that you won't miss anything that this world has to offer. It's all coming in the future. Why wouldn't you want that? At the end, Jesus refers to himself as the Messiah, as the King. If you want that future, make Jesus King of your life. There is no more powerful message possible. What do we do now? What did they do? Verse 52, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. Why don't we do the same? Let's stand together and celebrate that he is risen. We get to worship him just as they did.